Device Nation. And salutations, Device Nation. You're home for the greatest show on earth, and we know that show is Medical Device Sales with ideas, ideals, stories, and interviews to take you from good to great. This is Kevin Brown, your calm and collected leader in times of supraventricular tachycardia. I hope you are having an awesome day. We're going to do a little segment here on relationship selling. Oh boy. And then we're going to have a little relationship time with Julia Greenspan out in San Francisco, talking trauma, talking surgical tech, becoming a rep after that. And you are going to be stoked. I've had a number of you ask me about OR etiquette on LinkedIn. This is your episode. This is your episode. So listen close and listen tight because we've got some good content for you today that I really think is going to help you. Things I wish I knew early in my career. So let's stick a big toe into the deep and murky waters of relationship selling. This is overwhelming stuff. I could do a thousand episodes on it. But like my wife told my children when they were overwhelmed by fill in the blank, how do you eat an elephant, kids? One bite at a time. They would always chime in. By the way, can I just share something funny with y'all? Years ago, this came up in conversation today, but I was sitting in a lounge at a little small North Carolina hospital, and we had this wonderfully Southern uh, announcer over the PA system, and she just sounded like a Southern belle. And we're in the lounge eating, minding our own business, and the loudspeaker came on in that particular room, and we heard, I'll never forget it to this day, we heard her say, Dr. Demonis, Dr. Sue Demonis, could you please call the switchboard? And we just all busted out laughing. It was comic genius, and to this day I wish I could shake the hand of whoever pulled that one over on her. And if you don't know why this is funny, look up Pseudomonas in the dictionary. It was a hoot. And I know some of you are going to be inspired to try this tomorrow. All right, so I digress. I am not Dr. Phil on relationship selling. I'm not an expert. I'm just going to share some things that I have seen work for me and things that have not worked for me. So let's define relationship selling. Every definition for the most part had this element of using relationships to help close sales. And you're thinking, well, you know, right, that's what we do. Uh, We work in a finite space with a finite group of people, and as a function of proximity plus time, we develop relationships with these people and then hopefully leverage these relationships so that we can make our house payment, right? Well, I've got a little problem with it, a little problem with it, and maybe it's a distinction without a difference, but I think it's a distinction with a huge difference, and that key phrase is using relationships, using relationships because I think that is but a pitching wedge away from engagement with expectations which is kind of our natural bent to some degree and we cannot do that we cannot do that I know people with marriages I've done this in my marriage and I don't do that anymore it's like this unspoken balance in the room that okay if I put something on over here then I expect something from you on the other side. So we keep this thing nice and tight and equilibrium. Uh, And we all know we've had situations where 
interpersonally, people have come into other people's space, not because they really wanted to be around them or anything altruistic, but it was just what they could get from you, okay? Um, That is, at least for me, it was dysfunctional because it's no longer really a relationship. It's more of a fee-for-service, I will do X if I get Y, or a transactional relationship, right? And again, I just bear my soul here. I been married 35 years, and I think a good 10 years of my marriage, I, I really messed it up with that kind of mindset. Uh, it was kind of a selfish form of a relationship. So as I look back on the mistakes I've made on that realm, um, and it is funny, by the way, how the personal can mirror the business. So often, if you have that type of attitude in your personal relationships with people, you don't just shut that switch off when you walk in the OR, right? It still has that same, uh, what's that old saying? History doesn't uh, repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme a lot. And I think in this scenario, um, these mindsets of how we approach relationships can certainly rhyme whether we're in the office or at home. So I think the most important element of a functional relationship is selflessness, subordination of self. And you guys, I'm not going to speak on behalf of the ladies because I don't understand all that stuff, but I will tell you from a guy's perspective. You know, when you were courting, when you were dating that woman that you thought she was the one, right? Wasn't it a totally different mindset that you had? I mean, the car was cleaner. You, you watched what you said, you listened to her, you got into her world. Hey, what do you want to do tonight? You know, that kind of stuff. Subordination of self. Did you have some big expectations on every point there that, okay, if I say this, then you need to say that, or if I need to, you know, no, not really. Uh, I mean, my only expectation was maybe she'll marry me, but there wasn't any of this um, minor level expectations. So why do we need to resolve all this relationship Dr. Phil stuff because this cleans up your why this cleans up your why in so many things I'm hearing the question where's your why where's your why why are you doing what you're doing so our relationships need to be devoid of that mindset why because your nurses your surgeons will pick up on the inauthenticity of that you don't think they will you think you're good uh but if you're just doing stuff to get something back, it's going to show at some point. Because, And also, there will things you won't do because you don't think you're getting anything out of it. So, cleaning up your why. Why do we do what we do? We do it because we love people. We want to be around them. We want to serve them as best we can and make sure that everybody that crossed our path today was happier having crossed our path, that we improved their day. I didn't get that line. It was very profound to me. I had an OR director tell me, what would nursing look like if every nurse showed up and their sole goal that day was to make the job a little easier of a nurse they were working with? Just that. She said it would change the face of nursing, and I believe it would change the face of reptum. It would change the face of device nation, right? That if we came to work every day where our sole goal, our why for interacting with people would be to put a smile on their face, make them laugh, uh, make them walk away positive and just glad that they made contact with us. That, that we were the one bright spot in the day. I mean, I hope it was more than that. 
but uh, you don't know. I mean, a lot of people have hard lives and hard situations in the workplace. And that little touch sometimes that you give them and get, stop what you're doing, ask them questions, see how they're doing. You'd be amazed at how far that will go. So the benefit of all this, the benefit, you're like, well, we still have to make quota, right? I mean, if we're not going to use people, if we're not going to use relationships to get sales, then what's the point? Well, the side point is that if you do this with no expectations, you know, I'm going to do the right thing by people, for people, and I don't expect anything in return, but you will find kind of a inadvertent consequence of that is that they will throw a mattress out for you when you fall. When your product does come up on Value Analysis Committee, your chances are enhanced a little bit if people like you and that you've been doing right by them, correct? And uh, you will find that if you do have a solution that helps the OR, uh, that's going to help them out, your chances of success are much greater if these people are on your side. And again, that's not why we're doing it because we can't have that around us, all right? So I should write a rock and roll song about this because it sounds like a lyric, but to get something in this scenario, you have to let it go. If you are selfless, you will yourself be refreshed somehow, some way. I promise you. I promise you. So you're going to be refreshed today. I hope that helps. Uh, you're going to be refreshed today listening to Julia. Uh, she is so entertaining to listen to and so much knowledge, having seen both sides of the table in the OR and doing a, a job that my respect is off the chart for any of you out there that do trauma. And I know what you're going through. So without further ado, please welcome to the show, Julia Greenspan. Hi, Kevin. Julia, we have you on the show because you have a unique perspective on life. You were a scrub tech, and now you are a trauma rep with Stryker. And I just want to hear how you got where you are. Yeah, it was definitely, uh, you know, kind of a right place, right time, right attitude uh, situation for me, I think. I, you know, started working in sterile processing in high school and uh, wound up basically staying at that hospital through college as a surgical tech. So I got really lucky. I had like a family of people around me supporting me. Uh, and as I was graduating, I remember I was doing a tibia nail and we hadn't used the uh, that particular nail before. And so I asked the rep to do a technique guide and it was a synthes nail. Um, and I just remembered, you know, when like, oh, 90 pages, what is this? And so I had dissected it down into my, you know, kind of three useful pages. Right. Uh, and when he got into the room, he was like, do you have a degree? <laughs> and I was like, what? Um, and that's kind of how I first heard about medical device because he put me forward for a trauma job. Um, and I, I really didn't have any like understanding of what reps did outside the room. And so, uh, I kind of went into that interview process blind, kind of like, okay, let's see what this is. And it was a four month, you know, very adult process for someone just graduating out of college. Um, but the more I like went into the interview process, the more I wanted it. It was so cool. I was like, what? I get to get paid to learn all about orthopedic drama? Like, are you kidding? <laughs> Sign me up. Uh, I was thinking I was going to have to go to med school and be in debt for half a million dollars. Sure, sure. Like, yeah. So um, anyway, that's that's how I got started with Synthes Trauma. 
Okay, so you worked for Synthes a while, and then I know there was a transition. Mm-hmm. And did you go back into being a tech, or did you go over to Stryker from there? How did that all work? Yeah, so I was with Synthes Trauma in Oakland for um, you know about nine years, and then I needed a transfer. I wanted to try to get to my family in Santa Cruz. Uh, my dad wasn't feeling that great, uh, but there was no position open. So I thought, well, okay, I'll just go back to you know being a scrub tech um, at the local trauma center, get to know the business in the area, um, and then you know I had a sh- actually had a sh- stint at Globus for six months when they very first started their trauma line. Um, and then popped over to Stryker as soon as there was an opening. So yeah, that's how I came over to Stryker. Awesome. And now I'm with them. Yeah. I, I gotta ask, tell me about the lifestyle. I, I, I want the audience to hear it. I know it because I've uh, I've done that gig before and I have total respect for anybody that works in that space. But tell me a little bit about the lifestyle and, and what it's like, the rewarding aspect, the challenging aspect of it. Sure. I mean, yeah, being a trauma rep is, uh, you know, kind of notorious, right? It's like the the worst schedule on the planet. Um, but, but, but I think that if you embrace it as, like you said, a lifestyle, um, then, you know, as long as you have support at home, that's like the key factor is, you know, like I have a trauma spouse and, and he sees himself that way. And, you know, if a case pops up, he's like, you know, go get him tiger. Like he is all about it. Um, I have some colleagues whose spouses are incredible and they're like, you know, keeping track of quota with them. It's hilarious. Uh, it's like a whole family project. Um, and I think you have to involve your significant others and your family in your lifestyle, um, because you're missing birthdays and you're missing, you know, holidays and you're missing dinners where you're supposed to be there and last minute something happens. And I think if they understand that it's important work that you're doing, um, it'll help you through those moments. I think, you know, it's, if, if you have a situation where people are like, ugh you're leaving again. It's like, well, okay, that's not healthy. <laughs> that's not good for you. Um, so you have to have a really supportive network and also it's just fun. Like it's not going to be the job where you go in and it's nine to five and you know, you know exactly what's on your, you know, uh, schedule. Like you might have a backbone, like, Oh, there's these like few things I really want to try to get done today. But then around that, it's just keeping you on your toes and coordinating and fielding last minute cases and equipment runs. Um, and for me, I'm just hyper. So it's really fun. I, I like that aspect of it. Um, but it's definitely not for everyone. Like I have, uh, two, two boys, they're six and four. And my, when he, my older son was five, he had this like mother's day event. Um, and I was at his school and of course, you know, my husband came with me just in case I had to bounce out. Right. Um, and so I was there and sure enough, an X six came up and I'm like 100% honest with my kids about my job and what I do. I think that if anything, it helps them to know that I'm leaving for a real reason. And so my five-year-old, because I was like, Hey buddy, I got to go. He's like, Oh, what happened? Did someone get hurt? I said, yeah. He goes, well, well, what happened to him? And I was like, oh man. Okay. And so in front of all these other preschool parents, I had to tell him like, well, okay. So a guy, you know, fell asleep in a dumpster because he was cold and he got, you know, emptied into a compactor and he got uh, compacted. And now we need to go fix his pelvis because it's broken. And he was like, oh man, sounds like you should go. And I stood up and like the parents around me were horrified. Um, 
but but I was like, cool, my kid understands. He gave me a high five and I walked out and my husband stayed for the event. So that's kind of a perfect example of like, yes, it can be a huge interruption in a family moment. But if you have support and you set up expectations, like it's not the end of the world. So tell me, what is your favorite procedure? I mean, if your pager's going to go off, what's like the, the, the one you like the most, the fun that's fun? I love X-Fix. I mean, I like all trauma for sure. Um, but X-Fix for me really gets my blood going. I love it because it's usually, especially if it's a polytrauma, mm-hmm. I just really, really like um, managing you know, if there's like an extremity injury and they're having to do like, you know, an x lap or a crany at the same time, you know, those are fun, complex cases uh, that, you know, you're having an immediate impact on somebody. Um, and it's also one of the cases where you get to sort of help the tech the most in the beginning. Like uh, the best thing I can do is make sure that tech has what they need in the room um, and not pussyfoot around and <laughs> not get in the way. But like, right. here's what you got. I got you. Um, and it's also fun because those patients, you know, provided that they're stable, um, you know, through the, the next few weeks after that initial injury, you know, it's fun. You get to see them, you know, as they go along in their staged procedures, uh, get better. And that's really neat. So, so I really like polytraumas and uh, late night X fixes. Yeah, I'm with you. I love doing X fix. You can be creative with it and you got a toolbox to work with and just start making stuff. It's a lot of fun. Oh, it's so much fun. And then you can, like you say, you can make it your own. So if you have like, you know, multiple fractures to fix or to worry about, all of a sudden you can just start building this frame. It might look like a Franken frame, but if it's taking care of what you need to take care of, it's like, hey, you know, do it, buddy. Let's go. Um, those are just really, really fun cases. Franken frame. I'm stealing that. Co-opting it as my <laughs> own. I was on LinkedIn the other day and I love following uh, Medical Sales College because I'm really digging what they're doing. Perhaps they'll be a sponsor of this show one day. Ooh. Uh, I have been really excited to see more and more graduates uh, female. Now, too mm. many people listening, they're like not really understanding that novelty. But when I first started, uh, this was very much a male-dominated business. And it's just really interesting to see over the years the transition. And I was just curious what your your thoughts were on that, if you were seeing the same thing and what what's your perspective you know what are the um the the challenges of being a female in your business the advantages you know anything that you could throw out there for women thinking about coming into this uh this business especially on the trauma side i think that you know over the years it's not i haven't seen the numbers tick up in trauma for female representation as much as maybe we would like but i do think that the awareness has definitely uh come up more uh, people know uh, that it's an issue. Um, diversity in general is an issue. Um, and now, you know, companies have, you know, like sort of initiatives to try to, to try to help fix that. And I think that it's really important to do, but it's also, uh, difficult for companies because it's not necessarily a function of the company support. So for example, you can have a company like Stryker or J and J or, you know, Zimmer, and they're usually very supportive. These are big companies with very smart people at HR and they know what needs to be in place to support their employees. So there's usually, you know, a ton of perks and a ton of support, uh, but it's not their problem. You know, a lot of the problem is actually just the function of the job itself as a trauma rep um, and, you know, issues at the hospital. So uh, that's going to be an interesting sort of like thing to try to fix in the next decade or so. Um, but women are still hovering around, last I checked, 4% 
uh, representation for orthopedic reps. Um, it doesn't like divvy out trauma or uh, recon. It's just orthopedic in general. Um, and that's, that stays pretty true. I think, I think I see that. I still feel pretty, pretty rare, but I also think that it sort of provides a sisterhood. You know, when you see another female trauma rep, I mean, you know, you're like, Hey buddy, how you doing? And usually you, you connect pretty quickly. Uh, and we try to stay, you know, networked and connected. Um, but you know, our issues are definitely a little bit different. I, I wouldn't say that it's, you know, at, at the hospital level, the job is the same. Like I don't want my staff to see that I'm a female rep. I just want them to see my Jersey. Right. Like, so instead of saying, wow, a female trauma rep, I want them to say like, our striker rep is awesome. Like, that's all I want to hear. But on, you know, the other side, when it comes to uh, management and some of the like, you know, sort of inter-team dynamics, it can be a little bit different because, you know, maybe we can't get away with some of the same things that a male rep can. Um, like, we have to be a little bit more careful about our delivery uh, to customers as far as like how we speak to surgeons. You know, I have to be a little bit more careful until I know someone well. Uh, I'm not going to lead with, you know, I have a friendly, outgoing personality by nature. It's hard to pull it back. I like had, I like to have a good time. But until I know someone, um, I usually kind of cut a more professional edge to really make sure that I lead with my knowledge and uh, my clinical expertise first. And I think that, you know, men do that too, to a certain degree. I just think that it's a little bit more amplified for women because, you know, it's the first thing they notice about us. It's like, right. are you really on it? It's like, yes, I am 100%. And that's the first thing you're going to see. Uh, you know, otherwise you get, you get into unfair waters, but you still get into them where they go. Ah, I don't know about her. It's like, oof. <laughs> I've got to ask you about... OR etiquette. I get a lot of people on LinkedIn asking me about that. And I thought mm. you, more than anybody I've talked to, uh, would have such a good perspective on that of not only of how, as a rep, you address the tech, but as a tech, uh, how you interact with the rep on the other side of that table. And thoughts, thoughts. I know you've got some. It's a really interesting thing going from scrub tech to rep to scrub tech, to rep. So I, I've, I've gotten to be on both sides of the table, you know, with uh, varying amounts of knowledge. And I think I've learned at every single transition. You know, I think one of the things that I notice uh, is sometimes people don't really treat the tech with the same respect as they do the surgeon. And I think that's a big mistake. Uh, you know, techs have different levels of ego and experience, just like a surgeon, um, just like a circulating nurse, just like an anesthesiologist, like every person in that room, um, should be treated with the same caution. I think sometimes there's a tendency with, with, uh, younger reps in the business to kind of peacock a little bit, come in, you're a little swaggy, you're like, Hey, what's up? Like I am, I'm the guy in charge of all the hardware. You have a little, you know, you get excited about yourself and that's great. You have to, you know, if you know your product, you know your product. And I think that's not, not something to shy away from. However, you have to be careful about how that comes across to the surgical tech in the room uh, because oftentimes they have a very close relationship with your surgeon. Hmm. I was in the room with my surgeons, you know, sometimes 20 hours a day and you get to know each other and you have a relationship and they might know a tweak or two that maybe you don't know about that, that particular uh, surgeon. So um, they have a ton of knowledge and they can even, you know, sometimes they don't know a lot, but they still want to, you know, be made to look good. And so your job is not to go in and show much how, you know, so show how much you know in that moment, but 
show how much you can help the case go smoothly. Uh, and that is your job is, is not to, you know, uh, I don't know, be the guy in charge, but to help the case go better. And so whenever I walk into a room, I just ask the surgical tech, like, Hey, if I don't know them, like I'm Jules, a striker, how you doing? And they're like, Hey, what's up? Hey, uh, you know, you obviously look like you're well and you know, like, you know, this set really well. Do you want me to hang back today? Or do you want me to stay a step ahead of you? Like, what's the best way to help you? And sometimes they say, I'm good. Don't worry about it. And I let them, you know, I keep an eye on the table and then I'll, you know, make small corrections quietly as we go along if I see something wrong. Um, And then if other people say, dude, I have no clue what's going on. I've never seen a retrograde femoral nail before. I'm like, no worries. I got you. I'll keep you a step ahead. It's going to be fine. Um, And those are two different personalities and it takes two different types of customer service. And you have to be able to recognize when you need to apply one versus the other. Otherwise, you're going to make no friends (laughs) if you come in (laughs) either guns blazing or hiding in the back. You really have to know which one to use. So what are your thoughts? Uh, We had spoke before and I told you about the the nurse at the military institution that said, if I turned on my laser pointer one more time, that I was going to be an add-on foreign body removal (laughs) for that afternoon. And I know people have different thoughts on this. Um, uh, Are you pro against it? And if if people do use it, are there ways to use it that's just not so annoying? (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's such a hot topic, isn't it? yeah, it, it is. It is very controversial. I am a, a, a con. I am an against okay. the uh, the laser pointer tech because I'm not that good at it. I'm hyper, and you know, I'm usually like you know, kind of on it, and I really want to get going with my case. So when someone takes a laser pointer and they, you know, point it at metal and they wave their hand around because that's kind of natural, right? You know, you you want to gesticulate. You want to you want to move something so that it catches people's eye. But when you put it on metal, it tends to reflect. And sometimes when we're wearing like safety goggles, it reflects off the metal and it, you know, it, it can like reflect off the goggles as well. It makes it harder to see actually. So, and then if it was moving around a lot, I just felt like a cat. Like I've got two cats and like we give them laser pointers to play with, man. Like I, I just like start wanting to chase the laser pointer, but I don't really focus on, like it's bad. Like I know my weaknesses. Um, so I like to to practice sort of like verbal customer service. So I'm, you know, really pride myself on being able to articulate an idea and articulate, a, you know, a piece of equipment, for example. And texts work really well that way. If you just speak in very plain terms, like the blue handle next to the thing that looks like a Jacob's check. And they're like, oh, this? It's like, yep, you got it. And that's all. Like, they don't need the proper name. Don't make them feel... Like you're, you know, dumbing it down for them, but also don't, you know, say, oh, actually, this are, are, that's the articulated tension device. Like, that's fine. Okay. Just say the thing that has three colors on it. And they're like, got it. Okay. And then you can explain what it is later right. um, and give them that knowledge. But, you know, I think that that's one thing that people need to learn how to do is, you know, use your words, man. It works so much better than a laser pointer. <laughs> but some techs love it. And that's another part of coming in and asking. You know, how do you want me to be for you? I see other people do this, and I don't even know if I do it yet. I'm going to have to wait and see uh, the next time Mm. I have to pull it out of my pocket. But uh, the gesticulation with the laser pointer, and then you're just, this dot's going in circles somewhere. Yeah. I I could see that that can be more distracting, whereas just pointing to something and keeping it short and sweet. And keeping it steady. Like, if you're going to use a laser pointer, you place it on the item that you want, and you don't 
move. If you leave it very steady, then like you can, you can probably get your point across and it'll be just fine. For me, I'm super hyper and I just know I really suck at that. So I just, I'm like better using my words because I immediately want to like move. Um, but if you have the ability to just really keep it rock solid and this right here and don't move, then you'll probably have a better, um, better sort of success rate with that. I, I would imagine you with a laser pointer, you're turning that table into a dance floor. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It gets weird. People are like, is it Saturday? What's going on right now? <laughs> like, are we in a rave? Like, no. Yeah, it's not successful. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about, um, and again, I have a lot of stories involving military nurses that, that threatened me with bodily harm for some reason. But <laughs> I, I remember one um, saying she was going to amputate my hand if I put it over the table one more time. Mm-hmm. So what was your rule as a tech about people putting their hands over the top of your table? Yeah, that's and that's a cardinal rule. It's 12 inches from the table, right? And so and especially, you know, nothing over. Like if if you just use the rule of 12 inches away, um and that's your minimum. Like do not come any closer than that. It makes techs really nervous. Uh, you know, me especially, I was, you know, very, very cautious of um, asepsis, you know, especially working around orthopedists, you know, you're in, uh, you know, reconstruction is incredibly important. Um, so 12 inches away is the rule. And if you're putting your hands over someone's table, you're not 12 inches away. Right. And it's hard because, you know, don't feel bad if there's a rep out there who's been like, you know, yelled about this before. I mean, I've had to get on my circulating nurses sometimes. Like if they're pouring local over my field, you know, and they're just kind of, you know, they're rushing around and trying to get it done. Like I've had a conversation with a couple of my circulators where I'm like, you know, Hey, can you not do that next time? Like, I don't mind if you just like, let me know you're ready to pour. I'll, I'll bring my cup over, you know? And it's not, it doesn't have to be like a, you know, a nasty conversation, but it is kind of like a, Hey, you know, I actually had like instruments that are going to be used for a total knee today. I, I don't want you putting your hand over my table. Right. <laughs> like, please don't do that. Um, so yeah, when it comes to respecting the tech space, just whatever they say goes, like, don't even, don't even question it. And certainly don't like tear them down, uh, behind their back about it. Like be very respectful. Um, because that really is sort of our number one job, you know, in the, te- when I'm the tech in the room, like that sterile field is my, that's my job. So don't step on those toes. I did not fully appreciate this issue until uh, Dr. Greg Stocks in Texas did probably one of the best talks I've ever heard on infection, and he shared a little stat that kind of freaked me out. He said that the human body sheds 10 million skin particles a day, 10,000 a minute while you're walking, and of those particles, 10% have colonizable microbes on them. And yeah, scary. It blew. It kind of got me freaked out, you know, like now there's... Uh, now there's skin flakes everywhere, but uh, <laughs> I uh, I thought that's the type of thing that you don't want floating on somebody's table, right? Yeah, and it's just uh, it's just like why like, like like why do it? Like it's just one of those things where you kind of look at that decision. Like if somebody goes to put their hand over the table, and you know I help train sort of younger associates as well, and that's one of the very first things I tell them is we'll do like a role play, and I'll sort of play the surgical tech, and I'll ramp up my difficulty sort of depending on who's in front of me. And, you know, when they make that choice, because that happens a lot um, with people who've never worked in the OR before, their their surgical conscience is just not there yet. And so the instinct is to point to something. 
um, like that right there. And I'll just be like, you have a choice in that moment to point at it from where you're standing or to walk forward and point at it closer. Like why even take the risk? Just stay where you are. And if they have difficulty, that's where you need to use your words. Like if a tech doesn't understand what you're saying, it's your problem. Like that's, that's a skill you need to work on. Um, and that's good. That's important, you know, to know your, to know your weaknesses and work on that. But it should never even like, you know, I actually had a guy once say like, well, but you know, how are they going to understand? I'm like, you do not need to get your finger anywhere near this table for them to understand. <laughs> Let's be clear. <laughs> Stay where you are and nobody gets hurt. Yes, exactly. But again, like for reps who are upset, like, cause it happened to them recently. Like, it's not just you, it's everybody. Like everybody gets close to the table. Anesthesia gets too close. A lot of times when you're doing a C-section, oh my goodness, there's a lot of OB nurses who do not understand aseptic technique as well as we would like them to. So it's not just you. It's anyone who is not scrubbed in becomes a threat. And we protect that to a certain level. So it doesn't really matter who you are. So that's important to know, too. It's not personal. Tell me about conversation in the room as a rep. Ooh, that is a hot topic, too. Um, I think it's really important to read the room. So, you know, if it's an elective procedure, say you're a sports med rep and it's an ACL and, you know, you know the team and you know the surgeon and you've been going to that surgery center for 16 years and, you know, whatever, insert comfort level here, then okay, once the patient is asleep, if they're fully asleep, um, you still want to read the room, but you might be a little more comfortable than, say, one of my cases where it's in the middle of the night, it's an X6, the patient is unstable, uh, they're bleeding, there's multiple teams in the room. Like, I'm not saying anything. I'm not, you know, I'm being very, very cautious, quiet, to the back. What do you need? How can I help you? I'm usually just talking to the surgical tech because they've probably talked to the surgeon previously about what frame they want to do because I don't want to be having some loud discussion about the frame while the patient's trying to get taken care of like I should do my due diligence and see the x-ray and do my prep and then get in there and help the surgical tech to get through it quickly um but those are two totally different situations either way you have to you have to read the room and know your place you know it's not your place to have like a loud conversation about you know whatever weekend activity you did like if it comes up and everyone's calm and the surgeon's not stressed out and wants to participate, then that's one thing. But if that surgeon is not talking, there's something happening at the field that you should be probably paying attention to. So I don't engage in any conversation with like nurses or anesthesia at the back if the sterile field is really quiet. Now, I'm kind of late to the party on this, but now I'm finding myself making sure I'm not in the room while they're doing the Foley. Is that, am I being oversensitive about that? What do you, what are your thoughts about that? I think that, you know, if the patient is asleep, I, you know, I understand that there's definitely like privacy concerns and that's all obviously directly to the level of the facility policies. So um, some policies in place where we are, you know, are like no rep present until the patient is draped. And, you know, every, every hospital is different, but it's golden rule. It also, if you don't feel comfortable like, then don't be in there. That's okay. Like, you can have your own comfort level, too. You know, we have our own sort of, like, thresholds as um, as healthcare professionals as well. And if you don't want to be in there, like, I don't think it's a good idea, you know. Um, and most hospitals now do, you know, require that the reps are not in the room during that, like, sort of uh, prep time. And that's okay, you know. And if your facility 
doesn't have it, I mean, you can be, you know how it is as a rep. Maybe you're looking at the x-ray right at the moment where they're doing the Foley, but you're talking to the surgeon about the case. Like, I'm not going to leave, you know, unless they ask me to. If, if, if it's policy, then obviously. But if it's a place where it isn't policy and the surgeon is having a discussion with me, then I'm just not going to look at the field and I'll talk to my surgeon and focus on the x-ray. So again, this is a lot of like, we live in the grays sometimes, you know? Yeah. When in, uh, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. You're in their house and their rules have got to follow. <laughs> like that's, you, that's <laughs> you put your shoes outside the door if you want them, <laughs> they want you to, you, you know, use the doormat if they say, <laughs> like whatever they want, because it's their infection rate and it's their liability. So yeah, there is such an element as the thing that you can totally get away with that's cool and accepted at one hospital will get you written up at another. So that's oh, one hundred percent. That's <laughs> yes. when you need wise counsel from everybody, and I'll I'll even tell competitive reps if they're walking in there and they're not dressed right or something, and I know it might get somebody to flag them. I'll tell them. Um, oh, you're such a good guy. I mean, and and I follow the same suit because I think like, you know, fine competition, whatever, but you know, we're all representing medical device as a group and they can have a negative experience with a competitor and it will affect how they see us in our profession. So anything you can do in, in those small moments to help each other, you know, represent medical device as a whole on the positive, you know, it's, it's a good thing to do, even if it doesn't always, you know, some guys are like, no, well, <laughs> I refuse. Okay. Well, <laughs> I need somebody else to pay me back when I'm walking down the hall and I forgot to put my hat on. <laughs> so. Exactly. Exactly. And having that like generosity of spirit, you know, it's a good thing to have in our business because it's a very small world. You don't really know who's going to be your boss tomorrow sometimes. Um, and you want to be cautious of, of how you're sort of perceived. Okay, so Julia, bring us in for a landing. I want to talk about phones for a minute. Phones Ooh. in the OR as uh, as a rep. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, and this isn't yet yet another controversial topic, but uh, for reps, it's it's uh, absolutely critical. So I'm a trauma rep, right? And right. and if I don't have my phone on me. Um, that means I might not be able to respond to a hospital that needs me as well or needs to notify me about an emergent case. And it's really difficult because sometimes the people in the room uh, who've never sort of like carried the bag, uh, they don't understand that you're not like on Facebook. <laughs> like, right. like I'm not on Facebook. Um, I swear, like I'm only going to answer this text if it's really important. Uh, but that's another thing that we have to make sure we're not doing is, you know, doing sort of unnecessary things on the phone um, in the room. Like if you're in the hallway waiting for the case, of course, you know, text your team or whatever. But once you're in the room, it goes in your pocket. It goes on vibrate um, or silent, but I like vibrate cause I still need to know if something is popping up, um, on our schedule last minute. And then if you have to shoot off a, a quick text to make sure that you get coverage to a case, like if I'm in a, a case already and I need to tell my teammate, Hey, can you go cover an SDN really quick over it? Da, 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 da. It's like, sure. I got you. Like that takes about five seconds, put it back in your pocket. Don't let it be visible. Um, and keep your eyes on the, on, on, on the field and the table. And then I think that people will understand and trust you and be like, oh, she only really, really answers her phone if it's super necessary. And it's only a text. Um, and make sure that your voicemails are on transcription if possible. You don't want to be like going into the hallway to try to listen to a voicemail in the middle of a case. 
you know, try to see if you can get the transcription. You know, most smartphones can do that now. And then it'll it'll take your stress away. You can read it really quick, throw it back in your pocket. But I mean, definitely no, you know, uh, unnecessary texting, no answering phone calls with a loud ring, like all of the basics, like pretend you're on a first date every time, <laughs> every time, you know, they're watching you. So we've got a lot of young reps in their career uh, listening to this podcast. And if you had to tell them one thing to help them to be successful in this business, whether it's just trauma or medical device or, or life, whatever, uh, dealer's choice, uh, mm. what, uh, what sage advice would you have for them? Oh, I mean, I don't know if it's sage advice, but it's definitely my my personal sort of like uh, manifesto or my, you know, code of conduct is, uh, Asia Primo. So patient first, um, always, 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 always patient first. That, that should guide every decision you're making. So when you're in the room and, you know, even if you have to, I don't know, for that particular case or that particular moment, maybe a competitive product is better. Just do it. You know, the surgeon will respect you more for being honest about the situation than anything else. And you'll probably get you know, uh, business later, just because you're honest and don't worry about your quota. Like, look, look at it in the morning. You know, you have to be thinking about it, but once you leave the, that like number behind in your car, once you walk into the hospital, you know, you have to be patient first. Everything should be focused around them because then your surgeons will understand that that's your focus. And then that can build your trust and then they know you're there for a good reason. And and for me, that's how I want my relationships to be built. I, I, I do not want it to be built on anything but that. Otherwise, it's a short game. And I, I prefer the long game. So, I love that. I 30 years ago in this business, um, I was panicking, could not find my straight ramers anywhere in a hospital. The, <laughs> the osteonics rep, I'll never forget him. His name was Bill. Uh, he saw my panic. He said, what's wrong? I said, I can't find my straight reamers. He said, look, I have a set. They're all the same. Use it to get through the case, and I'm sure yours will turn up. Well, mine turned up in the next five minutes, so it was all good. But I never forgot about that because um, his his focus, uh, and he told me later, it really is about the patient. And you know, they were MPO and wanted to get their case done. And yeah. uh, he was going to make sure that, uh, that that didn't stop it as far as he could help. And that made such an impression on me. Um, what did you call it? What was, instead of patient first, what was the phrase you used? Oh, Asia Primo. That's uh, that's like one of the surgical tech sort of like, uh, you know, codes is uh, patient first. So that's in a lot of surgical tech textbooks. I love it. Um, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm sure you'll see some surgical techs with that tattooed somewhere on their body. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're ever like, what is that Latin phrase? Like, well, it's patient first. Uh and that's a huge, that's a huge guiding, guiding, uh, light for all of us who've been in it for a long time. Cause you just can't, you know, you just can't survive this long if you're 100% just all about quota and all about yourself. Like you have to believe in what we're doing, which is like really important. You know, we're helping people put their lives back together. That's, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. And that is the perfect period on our conversation. Patient first. Oh. Asia Primo. Mm-hmm. You got it. Thank you so much <laughs> for giving us some time out of your busy trauma lifestyle uh, to oh. speak with us, Julia. Thank you for having me, Kevin. I think what you're doing is amazing and uh, giving people sort of a network where we didn't have one before. So 
keep doing what you're doing. Very sweet. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. When she brought up the compactor, was I the only one in the room that was immediately transported to that scene in the Star Wars movie that traumatized so many youth? Me especially. Good stuff from Julia today. I know you got a lot out of it. I know I got a lot out of it. It would not be sales, though, unless we left you with a trusty anagram to help remember it all, right? So here's an easy one for you. Uh, We're going to go with vape. Vape, V-A-P-E. The V is going to stand for volume. How loud are you in the room? Do you have a loud laugh? Maybe you need to turn the volume down on your laugh a little bit. Uh, Read the room. How loud is everybody else, and how loud are you in proportion to that? Something I have to pay attention to all the time, being a recovering stand-up comedian. A, A for attention. You have to pay attention, and that phone is your enemy. So let's all make a concerted effort to put the phone on silent, number one, and get it away from us uh, during key parts of the case. Emergencies we can deal with as needed, but a lot of times the phone catches our eye for things that are absolutely not urgent and can cause issues when we miss a step. So P, P for proximity, 12 inches away from that table, guys and gals. I know you like to point. I know that finger is magnetically attracted to whatever it is you're pointing at. But we've all got to do a better job, especially me, with not getting our hand over that table. I watched an episode of Live PD the other day, and a guy was in handcuffs and trying to point at whatever he was talking to the officer about. So I know this is hard to do. I had a case just the other day when I was backed up against the wall and I was trying to point to something, but I had no room to even get my hand from the wall. And it was excruciating, so I get it. But we just can't do it. Find another way. And lastly, E for engagement. Let's all pay attention to how we engage a tech, especially the ones that we're not really familiar with. It's a dance, and we let them lead. What would you like me to do? How can I help you in this case? Is it okay if I use a laser pointer? I've started asking permission ever since I originally talked to Julia about this subject. That was just uh, something we don't think about. And treat that tech with the same respect that everybody else in that hospital gets, especially your surgeon, right? Everybody gets the same respect as Bosch, on the Amazon show that I absolutely love said so eloquently, everybody counts or nobody counts. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today and listening to what Julia had to say. I hope you all have an awesome week and I look forward to seeing you next week. Our episode has an amazing interview with Dr. Matt Barber from Mobile, Alabama, and I know you're going to want to hang around to see what he has to say. Good, good stuff. Have a great week, y'all, and I will see you next time. Device Nation.